0: Welcome back to The Daily Poem. I'm David Kern, and today is Monday, March 1st, 2021. Today's poem is by Richard Wilbur, because Richard Wilbur was born on this day in 1921 which means, of course, that today would have been his 100th birthday. He died on October 14th, 2017, and is one of the greatest of all American poets. He was appointed the second Poet Laureate Consultant in Poetry to the Library of Congress in 1987, and he received the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry twice in 1957 and 1989. He is one of my very favorite poets, one that you have heard from, A time or two here on the podcast and today what I want to do is share three different Richard Wilbur poems with you and I want to share some comments from an essay that another poet James Matthew Wilson wrote about Richard Wilbur back when Wilbur passed away. Wilbur is as I said one of my favorite poets but he is uh, although he's a poet that I'm gonna read until I die I am confident of that he is probably one of the poets that I love most that I feel least capable of speaking about. And what I want to do today is read two of his earlier poems from his, probably his greatest collection, which was called Things of This World and was published in 1956. And then I want to read one poem from his more recent work. And uh, when I do that, I'm going to share the comments that James Matthew Wilson wrote. So first, what I'm going to do is read the two early poems from that 1956 collection and then I'll read the comments from James Matthew Wilson, and then I'll read the later poem. So up first is Piazza di Spagna, Early Morning. It goes like this. I can't forget how she stood at the top of that long marble stair, amazed, and then with a sleepy pirouette went dancing slowly down to the fountain-quieted square, nothing upon her face but some impersonal loneliness. Not then a girl but as it were a reverie of the place, a called-for falling glide and whirl, as when a leaf, petal, or thin chip is drawn to the falls of a pool and, circling a moment above it, rides on over the lip, perfectly beautiful, perfectly ignorant of it. And then here is, it's called Mind, this is how it goes. Mind, in its purest play, is like some bat that beats about in caverns all alone, contriving by a kind of senseless wit not to conclude against a wall of stone. It has no need to falter or explore. Darkly it knows what obstacles are there, and so may weave and flitter, dip and soar in perfect courses through the blackest air. And has this simile alike perfection? The mind is like a bat. Precisely. Save that in the very happiest intellection, a graceful error, may correct the cave. So these two poems again are from his 1956 collection, *The Things of This World*. I just want to quickly say that what I like about these two poems, the reason I chose them, is they are evidence of two things that make Richard Wilbur a great poet. They're so compelling to me. One is there is a sort of dreamscape to his poetry. There's this mystery, this, this fog of beauty that, that hovers over so much of his poetry, as in Piazza di Spagna early morning. But then there's also this deep philosophical core, as in mind. These are two of his shorter poems, but I, I wanted to share them for that reason, because they give evidence to two different characteristics of his work that I really like. Which brings me to James Matthew Wilson's essay upon Richard Wilbur's death. It was published, I believe, in the Weekly Standard back in October of 2017. And James Matthew Wilson is considering the career, the legacy of uh, Richard Wilbur. And in the middle of the essay, there's a couple paragraphs that I want to read to you before I read a newer poem by Wilbur. It goes like this, quote, In retrospect, it seems that poets like Lowell and Berryman treated poetic form as an anguished and difficult exercise, as if to suggest that serious art required a forceful grip and all the rigor of a Gnostic cult. Otherwise, the world in the poet's mind would simply fall to pieces. Eliot had once posited that poetic tradition cannot be inherited, and if you want it, you must obtain it by great labor. Lowell and most other middle-generation poets made a whole technique out of laboriousness. Wilbur's work, in contrast, took into itself with ease all of the wit and ironical sophistication of modern poetry, but was composed with an elegant, august, and musical rhetoric that stood in filial and cheerful continuity with the whole of our literary tradition. Smart and graceful, recognizable as poetry even to the naive amateur, his work immediately rewards the ear, while also gratifying patient study. According to the bags. The poets of that generation were fiercely competitive, Wilbur included. Lowell had the unhappy habit, signaling he was due for yet another stay in the mental hospital, of forcing his Harvard students to rank in order the greatest living poets. In such a climate of competition, Wilbur seemed out of the running. His work was backward, conservative, and sunny, while Lowell and others drilled down to the essence of the advanced art in Suffering and Mania. But time was on Wilbur's side. Not only did he outlive his best contemporaries by decades, but the difference between his poetry and theirs made him a model and mentor for those younger poets who were more or less unimpressed by the mannered disruptions of modernist literature. Such poets seek to practice the art in continuity, with a literary tradition that reconciles rhetorical grace with intellectual seriousness, one which holds together a clear vision of the world's fallenness with a sense of the underlying goodness of creation." Wilbur, almost alone, spanned the gap. If you'd like to read more, you can just Google uh, Richard Wilbur remembered James Matthew Wilson. Some kind of combination of those words should get you there. And before I let you go today, I want to read Blackberries for Amelia, which came from a later collection that Richard Wilbur wrote from, from New Poems, which was released in 2004. And this is actually a poem that James Matthew Wilson calls one of the best poems of the new century. It goes like this. Fringing the woods, the stone walls and the lanes, old thickets everywhere have come alive, their new leaves reaching out in fans of five from tangles overarched by this year's canes. They have their flowers too, it being June, and here or there in brambled dark and light are small five-petaled blooms of chalky white, as random clustered and as loosely strewn as the far stars, of which we now are told that ever faster do they bolt away. AND THAT A NIGHT MAY COME IN WHICH, SOME SAY, WE SHALL HAVE ONLY BLACKNESS TO BEHOLD. I HAVE NO TIME FOR ANY CHANGE SO GREAT, BUT I SHALL SEE THE AUGUST WEATHER SPUR BERRIES TO RIPEN WHERE THE FLOWERS WERE, DARK BERRIES, SAVAGE SWEET AND WORTH THE WAIT, AND THEY WILL COME THE MOMENT TO BE QUICK AND SAVE SOME FROM THE BIRDS, AND I SHALL NEED TWO pails, OLD CLOTHES IN WHICH TO STAIN AND BLEED and a grandchild to talk with while we pick. And this one I will read twice. Fringing the woods, the stone walls, and the lanes, old thickets everywhere have come alive, their new leaves reaching out in fans of five from tangles overarched by this year's canes. They have their flowers too, it being June, and here or there in bramble dark and light are small, 5 petaled blooms of chalky white, as random clustered and as loosely strewn as the far stars, of which we now are told that ever faster do they bolt away, and that a night may come in which, some say, we shall have only blackness to behold. I have no time for any change so great, but I shall see the August weather spur berries to ripen where the flowers were, dark berries, savage, sweet, and worth the wait." And there will come the moment to be quick and save some from the birds. And I shall need two pails, old clothes in which to stain and bleed, and a grandchild to talk with while we pick. This has been The Daily Poem. Thank you so much for listening. Happy 100th birthday to Richard Wilbur, and I'll be back tomorrow with another poem for you.